that's the worst opening of a beer of all time. But generally, Happy New Year, Nitrogen Podcast listeners, because it is now officially 1996 in the wonderful world of World Championship Wrestling. Happy New Year to you, Brian. Happy New Year to you, Mike. Have you got any um, New Year's resolutions or anything like that for this uh, coming year in the, the WCW folklore? Yeah, to wish harder that the Dungeon of Doom would finally fuck off. That is my only resolution. <laughs> but, but I've got to say, it's 1996 and always right in the world. Right with a W, guys. Because my boy is back. Alex Wright is finally back on Nitro. I'll drink to that. Yeah, I'm so fucking excited. Yesterday I sent a text to my dear friend Mark and all it contained of was four smiley emojis and saying this is a spoiler for our recording session tomorrow and that is why I'm so fucking happy. One smiley for each letter in his first name. That is fantastic. Hey, segue. <laughs> I did uh, I did enjoy seeing him back on WCW Nitro. It was a, a, a quite the breath of fresh air to be honest. And I did enjoy the match as well, which we're going we're gonna to get to very shortly. But yeah, so 1996, 1995, he's going down basically as being the most successful year in WCW history, particularly from Eric Bischoff's standpoint. But he, of course, he's going to say that because he's the guy in charge. To be fair, when, when you're looking back at what WCW used to be known for putting out and the arenas kind of used to always have toothless, inbred, you know, brother and sister shagging sort of, weird people <laughs> in the in the crowd and everything like that that have basically been given free tickets now wcw was actually selling tickets and granted as we're going to see in this episode of the nitrogen podcast not necessarily selling out but we, we are actually selling tickets we're selling a little bit of merch you know things are on the turn for wcw and 1996 is going to be the year as we all know where wrestling as a whole is just shook to its core and Boy, we're in for a bumpy ride. It's going to be one hell of a year for us. So, we're going to jump in after I've had a sip of my beer. Cheers. Happy 1996. Happy 1996. <sighs> what are you drinking there, Brian? I am drinking a Camden Hills. Um, I have openly spoken about my fondness for Desperados, so people will predict that I'm drinking Desperados. Fortunately, I can't fucking get any at the moment for some goodness knows reason. I can't really explain why. I work in the supermarket... We've not had any in for two weeks. Even they can't explain why. I think I've <laughs> supped Heideken's little sub-company, Desperados Dry. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so I'm on the Camden Hills. It's uh, something I've never had before. Um, bought it impromptly the other night, and it's actually a really nice lager. That's a very good shout as well. I'm a big fan of Camden Hills stuff. Uh, Camden Hills lager in particular is a really, really good tipple. But hopefully it's not another one of these toilet tissue scenarios you know where everybody just sort of stockpiled the desperados <laughs> yeah that might have actually been me <laughs> <laughs> well we've got a beer in hand i'm drinking a fuller's black cab stout i haven't had a stout in a good few weeks because i've not been well but i'm going to enjoy this one tonight and i think we're going to need it as well nitro 18 is happening on january 1st 1996 new year's day from atlanta georgia right in the backyard of wcw territory and uh, a couple of dark matches, sorry, uh, we've got three dark matches here. Bobby Walker, no idea who he is, defeated Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, who is, of course, the head trainer of the WCW Power Plant. Joey Mags with Teddy Long. There's a name you might recognise. I recognise both. Joey Mags, you might have to enlighten me on that one. Yeah, I've heard the name before. 
Um, I don't think he was anybody special, but I'm pretty sure somebody like Taz has spoken about him. I might be wrong though, but I, I, I'm pretty certain I've heard that name before. How professional we are for doing our research on this guy. Yes, but uh, <laughs> oh, it's the Teddy Long. Um, uh, I think he had a a fairly memorable run on WWE TV. I think he might have. Yeah, he might have player. He might have turned up once or twice. <laughs> yeah, he liked to book a tag team match. I'm blocked by Teddy Long on Twitter. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joey Mags <laughs> with Teddy Long—that's that's not an avenue we need to go down, really, because I have no fucking idea why. Joey Mags with Teddy Long defeated the Disco Inferno, and in the last dark match, you're gonna love this one, Brian. Johnny B. Bad, the WCW Television Champion, defeated <gasps> Shock Horror. Diamond Dallas Page to retain the WCW TV Championship. Why? <laughs> For fuck's sake. How many is that now, Brian? It's got to be like, what, six Nitros in a row these guys have faced off for the for the same title with the same outcome, the same result. Just <laughs> how many times can you beat a dead horse? Fucking hell. That rematch clause in DDP's contract must be ridiculous. Yet we'll give you unlimited... The uh, rematch clauses, DDP. But they all have to be on dark. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can kind of see what they're doing there, really. That, you know, the TV championship, even though it's not on TV, it's at a TV no, taping. That's exactly it. It's not even on TV. It's on a fucking tape. It's not even a tape. It's on fucking bit, the pre tape. Yeah, it's unrecorded. <laughs> yeah, it's. It... You may as well just call it. The, I don't know, the Dark Match Championship or something like that. I don't know. Um, anyway, we're going into the into the actual live broadcast now, which I, I can't believe is live on a New Year's Day. I can't believe people actually came out to this, to be honest, but, you know, there, there we go. And we instantly hear Dave Penzer counting down from five to open up, which is a standard thing for wrestling shows, really, so that the, the fans know when to get pumped up. But I think they just left it in for the sort of like the New Year's Day occasion on this one whilst they were doing their aerial shot of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the commentary booth discusses tonight's main event, where Ric Flair will defend his newly acquired WCW World title, obtained at last Wednesday's Starcade 1995, against, he's back, the immortal one, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> we excited. <laughs> Straight into a match here, and we've got Aaron Anderson versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. Now, this this does have a little bit of excitement, because this is the fallout from Starcade, which is going to sort of go through this entire Nitro, really. Um, Savage looked as if he was going to fall foul of Ric Flair's henchman after Jimmy Hart distracted the referee enough to allow Flair to go after Savage with Hart's own megaphone back at Starcade. Savage managed to get the swing in his favour, blocking Fleur's attempt and decking Fleur with the megaphone instead. I was actually really tempted to say a mega drive then, but I resisted. <laughs> I had to reread the word megaphone. Savage gets an elbow from the top, it connects, but with Pillman and Benoit coming to the ring, he is forced to concentrate on them. Pillman goes up top, but Savage throws him into Benoit, who then rolls out of the ring. Pillman scuttles back on his ass into the corner, and during all this, Arn Anderson has entered the ring with the brass knuckles to wallop Savage in a spot the commentators, consisting of Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan, all seem to have missed until Fleur covers 
to get the three count. And that was Flair, ladies and gentlemen, winning the WCW title at Starcade 1995. So we've set up nicely for Macho and Arn to go against each other on the first Nitro back. And they go straight into it with a brawl at the beginning that even the TBS camera crane couldn't get out of the way of. This uh, That little snippet just kind of had that little bit of realism and anything could happen sort of thing to Nitro that, that I didn't I didn't kind of mind, really. No, uh, I liked it. Mm. Uh, during this, Bischoff would again go to mention the results from Raw, which we'll actually detail at the end of this recap, as we normally do. He referred to something as toilet roll, and I'm wondering what the hell that was. Toilet roll? I didn't miss... I, oh, uh, I don't know. I, I must have missed that one. Yeah, I think it was actually calling Raw toilet roll, but I couldn't, I couldn't actually make it out. I don't know. That just that sounds really bad. Sounds like it's trying too hard a little bit. Yeah, sounds like a tricky shit, doesn't it? Going to the toilet <laughs> raw. <laughs> oh dear. And so it begins. <laughs> One drink, guys. One drink. <laughs> Arn uses every heel trick in the book from working the arm to a hammerlock slam to even wrapping the arm around the ropes and the ring post while Macho continues to get the crowd's sympathy through his show of guts and determination. Bobby Keenan actually comes out with a cracking line in this. He says... This man can break every bone in a chicken wing and never touch the skin. Wow. That is poetry. I that missed is that. That is beautiful. Yes. yes, absolutely beautiful. Stunning. The finish involved the referee taking a bump from Arn after Macho shoved Arn. Arn pulls brass knucks out, but Macho gives a stiff-looking right hand to make sure that Arn drops it. Uh, Macho uses the knuckles for the win. Heenan with a great bit where he excuses Arn's grabbing of the knuckles out of his tights by saying there was just a slight adjustment of the tights there. So actually, from what you've just said there, and from that little tidbit that I heard, Heenan's been gold in this match, really. I mean, there's been two absolute nuggets of perfection from Bobby Heenan here. Yeah, this is the Bobby Heenan that we're we're not getting a lot of on Nitro. Mm. There is, it does seem unenthusiastic at times um but at the risk he, of he's... at the risk of saying something controversial bobby heenan is potentially having the light taken away from him by mongo mcmichael yes i agree with that mm. mongo does seem to get more in on commentary than anybody else mm. and 99 percent of them are fucking nfl references which i wish he'd just fucking shut up about now <laughs> not an NFL fan then it's not that I'm not an NFL fan I just don't understand them it's a, it is a difficult I mean the, the, the references I, I kind of get because I kind of get NFL but at the same time I, I certainly don't understand NFL games front to back so some of the references are lost on me yeah apparently Arn Anderson would have been good in the Chicago Bears how? you know <laughs> Just explain something a little bit here. How does it pertain to wrestling? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next match is uh, Lord Stephen Regal with Jeeves versus Chris Benoit. And this will go down as Regal's debut on WCW Nitro here in a match. Uh, all personal negatives aside, any wrestling fan would be salivating over, really. Regal's right knee is heavily taped as well. And there's plenty of technical and ground-orientated holds from Regal. And an interesting comeback spot involving Benoit's second wind coming from uh, a trifecta of regal headbutts. I'd never seen somebody sort of like... I know when Hulk Hogan's in the ring, we call it hulking up, don't we? Where he just like no-sells something and just starts coming back. I don't know what we'll call it here. We can't call it a... I don't know. 
a, a crippler comeback or something. I don't know. No. But basically, Regal headbutts him once, and Benoit sort of just goes, Wah! and Regal headbutts him again, and Benoit comes back again with another, Wah! and it's like, I've never seen that before. I don't think I've ever seen it since either. No, I can't recall. But then again, you know, with all the contro- controversy surrounding Chris Benoit, I mean, we call it controversy, you know, it's it, it it's a pretty, pretty tragic thing. Um, but just trying to, like, not to sugarcoat it a little bit, all the controversy around Benoit, we kind of, like, want to forget these kind of things. Mm. So, yeah, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. But, yeah, it, no. it was... With all that said, though, it was kind of scary watching it. It was a little bit, yeah. It kind of gave him a, a little bit of a, a little bit of character to his persona, really. That he he might be a little bit twisted. He might snap at any moment. Yes, it was. Kind of carried that forward going. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of brawling from Benoit. There's a gnarly looking tombstone power driver after Benoit re- oh. uh, reverses Regal's initial tombstone attempt. Regal was flailing around like mad on this one as well, and I I, I was thinking, oh my god, he's going to drop him. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't look nice at all. Mm. I, you know, I I don't think there was any intent on hurting. You know, hurting Regal. Obviously, there wasn't really, but it just looked like he was. It, yeah, I mean, I, I put it down to Regal because he he was really overselling it. So his flailing around just kind of made it so that Ben was. I don't think Benoit was expecting him to be so overzealous in his selling as well. So he, he can I think he kind of slips out of Benoit's arms a little bit, and it could have gone really wrong. This yeah. really, really wrong. Yeah, that's a good point. That yeah. So I mean, when I were looking at it, and obviously this is facing away from the TV camera, the, the hard cam as well. Oof. It could it could have been nasty. It could have been really nasty, and I think the only person really to blame would have been Regal. Benoit goes high risk after after Regal rolled out of the ring, but misses and catches nothing but floor and padding. Regal quickly gets him into the ring, and that gives him the three count, which came very unexpected. And we go straight back to the ring after a little bit of a break to Gene, who's with the Horseman, Arn talking to Benoit, while Pillman is stood there with Gene in a long black leather jacket, tearing Benoit and Arn a new one on their current losses on this episode of WCW Nitro. The introduction by Mean Gene is referring to Benoit's loss and saying that last night he maybe had a little bit too much of the bubbly. Oh my <laughs> God, I fucking popped so hard for that. Chris Jericho, you've ruined the word bubbly for me. Every time I hear that now, it's like I just think of a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did. I didn't mind that actually. I saw. I saw you. I did. I, I did see you put that up on Twitter, and uh, I did have a chuckle to myself. But I did. Yeah. I did miss that actually. There's, I seem to have missed quite a bit of audio on this uh, episode of the CW Nitro, which is a shame. Yeah, when the wrestling's actually good, you do miss little kernels of commentary. Yeah. So Benoit maintains that Regal was lucky, but Arn explains the f- the four horsemen have to protect the world title at all costs. And while specifically pointing his eyes at Pillman, says that they have to stop lighting fires where there is quote no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We see that the we see the giant pulling Zodiac and Sullivan back from going to the ring at the entranceway as we go to a break. Yeah, thank fuck they didn't come to the ring. Yeah, <laughs> this is the kind of dungeon of doom we like being pulled straight back and disappearing again. No, 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 I disagree. The kind of dungeon of doom that I like. It's one of the recent episodes of Natural. Were they not around? 
Into the next match, we get the Super Assassins with Colonel Robert Parker. I told you it won't be long before you saw him. Versus Sting and Lex Luger. So this is more fallout from Starcade. Luger had cost Sting the number one contendership at the um, confusing clusterfuck of a triangle match at Starcade 1995, which we did discuss in the last episode of Nitrogen Podcast and we will not discuss now. Yeah, let, let's just gloss over it, please. Yeah, if you want to hear us get extremely hot over a fucking nonsensical match that I'm getting hot about right now, just talking about, go back to the previous episode of the Nitrogen Podcast. If you did listen to it, I would like to apologise right now for getting so hot. People would obviously question here whether these two are going to get on because of the fallout from all that. But Sting is happy as Larry. He's pumped up and he's high-fiving all the kids in the crowd. Has a quick chat with Lex and they high-five. So it shows that there's absolutely no problem whatsoever. We go into split-screen mode on Nitro where Craig Pittman comes out to the commentary desk to ask Steve McMichael, of all people, to manage him, which is politely declined. He calls him Steve McMichaels. <laughs> oh, does he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know why I found that funny. Yeah, uh, he... I, th- I think his career is going to go downhill from here. I don't know why I get that impression. Probably because I've never fucking heard of him before all this. The thing is, actually, he's, he's been in WCW for like three or four years at this point. Really? Yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because I, I remember him surfacing in like 1992. I remember I remember seeing him in... Oh, I think it might have been a great American bash. I remember Sting faced against Meng... Uh, Harlem Heat were on it and everything like that so it was quite a standard WCW show but I'm sure Craig Pittman faced somebody and that's going back to 92 so he's been around long enough he's not like a newcomer he's just a newcomer on TV but obviously you get a TV audience that's never seen WCW programming in 1992 then obviously it's new to them so well if he's only just going around now asking for managers to help boost his career and he's been in there for like four years maybe it's time to hang up that you know hang up your boots mate it like, could be, know, yeah. Nothing against you, Pittman, but fuck off. <laughs> get out of here, brother. He, he does get an encouraging pep talk from, from McMichaels. Uh, <laughs> and he seems satisfied enough. Sorry, he seems satisfied enough when he sort of leaves. He just shouts affirmative into the microphone and sort of toddles off. In the ring, we get back to the action and there's a quick tag into Sting that gets a big pop. That was actually whilst... Pittman was talking, I had to rewind it to find that I, I heard a big pop and I need to see what it was about um, an assassin ended up on the floor but as we come back Sting is up on another assassin's shoulders in a backbreaker uh, it turns out that the assassins are actually the powers of pain Warlord and the Barbarian oh for god's sake <laughs> so in hindsight I actually could have given them names that, na- uh, that WCW didn't give because I found it hard to, when writing my notes, to refer to which assassin. It was like assassin number one and assassin number two. But even I got confused to who assassin number one and assassin number two was. I don't know if that's because they didn't give them actually specific names and they weren't referring to them by specific names when they were tagging in and out, or the fact that they're both dressed exactly the same in black uh, shirts and tights with a big S on the front, which I'm pretty sure is, you know, very borderline copyright law, Hmm. and golden masks. You know, it was very hard to... You know, they're both same size as well. I should have uh, added that in. But, yeah, it was so confusing to wonder who who was who. And it says a lot about their in-ring psychology that they didn't even do twin magic like the Bellas would do. 
you know, you got the fucking same. You could take advantage of your luck by swapping in and out and, you know, pretending that you're the legal man when you're not and getting an advantage of your tag team. You're supposed to be the fucking heels in this match as well and you're not even doing that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, this match was so fucking... It was so frustrating. I was so distracted watching it. Like, for, for all those reasons stated. Yeah. And because Lex Luger was there as well. But let's not go into that. <laughs> well, we're just going to run straight to the finish here because I haven't wrote I haven't wrote much else on it. It's uh, it's a bit of a botch finish after Lex gets the torture rack on perfectly fine. The other assassin looks like he's about to get into the ring to save yeah, his partner. Yeah, he just stops. He just stops uh, on the yeah, rope. Yeah, I think he just stops because Sting's missed his moment here. I actually, I'm, I'm sort of blaming, you know, I'm placing all the blame at Sting's feet here because Sting's really slow to cut him off. And I think as the assassin's supposed to be coming in, I think Sting's supposed to be there to completely cut him off and Sting's just missed his cue completely. So assassin just sort of stays there. It's almost as if he's got like cramp. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but you can't see it because he's wearing a golden mask. So he's just sort of like... Well, well, the first thought that I got when I was watching this, and this is why it was so funny to me, because I hearken back to the Royal Rumble where Vince McMahon comes in when there's a botch finish between Batista and John Cena. He gets yeah. in the ring and he fucking quads bursts and he just sits <laughs> it, like, he sits there angry going, yeah, you motherfuckers. <laughs> it's one of my favourite WWE moments. That yeah. it really is. It's just like, for once, Karma actually came around and bit him. It didn't, bit, it didn't bite him in the ass. it bit him in the quads. But yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh my fucking god, I'm crying already. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment so much. Yeah, that's that's the finish. Uh, the torture rat gets it, and the win goes to Sting and Luger. Absolutely no animosity between Sting and Luger here, or is there? Dun dun dun. Mm. I have to say, so- I actually did like the finish uh, around the scuttlebutt with uh, Luger having one of the assassins in the torture rack. And Sting having the other, who's ever whatever his name is, in the Scorpion Deathlock at the same time. I mean, that's a very good visual. When, when two, when a team puts their respective finishers on their opponents like that, it is actually a pretty cool visual. You know, even though you know two of the people in the ring are illegal. You know, when you take a bit, take away the rules, you know, it, it actually does look pretty good. The crowd yeah, it- fucking exploded for it as well. Yeah. I think that's the main reason for it happening. And obviously, if you're there live and you see the two faces getting there, and they're the, I think the, the two most over um, submission holds in WCW at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you see both of them at the same time, you're going to be like, holy sh... Like that, you know what I mean? Um, but I think I shat on it because Sting was slow coming out of the blocks. Yeah. Of course. Trying to get the assassin. If they'd have locked it on at the same time, man, that would have been so good. Yeah, it would have made it better. Yeah. So we, we carry on to Gene, who's awaiting the son of Andre. We're still pushing that fucking dead horse. Yeah, he actually says it this time as well. Yeah. Like... Yeah. So we're waiting for the giant and Jimmy Hart. Uh, Jimmy taunts Hulk Hogan while maintaining he's always going to be manager to winners, no matter who it is. And as Giant gets on the microphone, we see why Hogan was suspended in video footage. Uh, it just basically shows him going mental with the chair on everyone, specifically the Giant. Uh, we did detail that in a previous episode of the Nitrogen podcast, and we gave Hulk Hogan props for actually being able to swing a chair for a change. Yeah. It says a lot about the ability when we're actually giving him props to swinging a fucking chair. I know. <laughs> and that's after criticising criticizing him for badly swinging a chair. Well, let's be honest, have we actually 
we, we just criticise them on a weekly basis <laughs> on this true. podcast. <laughs> but it, it just sounds like we're finding things to pick apart now. Oh, you swang a chair really badly. But to be fair, they were fucking weak. Especially when you're up against a bloody giant like that. Yeah. Speaking of picking apart Hulk Hogan, here's the main event. The uh, WCW World Heavyweight Championship on the line. Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. Oh boy, this is going to be fun. We get our first look at the title in 1996 and it's in the hands of the rope monkey himself, Randy Anderson. Which is a shame because I love seeing the world title around the waist of Ric Flair. Yeah. Whenever you say the letters WCW, you think of Flair and that title. It's just the first go-to thing in my head, even as a massive sting mark. He's decorated in all gold, a stunning gold robe to epitomise his standing at the top of the world at this moment in time. I thought Flair just looked the fucking dog's bollocks. And if I was a homosexual male, that would do it for me. We come back from a break and we begin the flirt with Flair taking all the shoulder blocks and wrist locks from Hogan. I have to bring up one thing. is The attire that Ric Flair is wearing, I have to bring this up. He's got black tights on, that's fine. But he's wearing red knee pads and yellow boots. Just like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I did mention I did I did mention that later on uh, because I only just noticed it when we get to the finish, right. which I'm I'm appalled at myself for. But yeah, okay, as you were. <laughs> so uh, we're back from a break and we begin with Fleur taking all the shoulder blocks and wrist locks. So that's basically eighty two percent of Hogan's moveset already done. So, so I told you we were gonna I told you we were gonna turn him a new one. To, to, we get to some chops and after enough Hogan will Hulk up. Yeah, God, yeah, so early in the match. Yeah, uh, Fleur does get an elbow, but then attempts to go to the top rope, which almost always fails these days. To the outside, a bit of back and forth for the fans to sink their teeth into, and then back into the ring. Fleur's up and over in the corner, has Hogan back in the driver's seat, but once Fleur rakes the eyes and works the bad knee, it's all Fleur absorbing the heat. He gets the figure four on, which Hogan sells immensely, to be fair, but just as quickly it's reversed, and Jimmy Hart heads out, and this is a big enough distraction for Hogan to allow Flair to get back on top. Flair holds Hogan up for a good four seconds in a vertical suplex. Oh, after a pin attempt, so impressive. It was. Yeah, it was, definitely. Uh, after a pin attempt, Hogan is hulking up once again. We noticed uh, that Flair was wearing red and yellow boots, as you said there, uh, just as Hogan's delivering the big boot and the leg drop. It looks to be over, but Jimmy Hart jumps on the apron to distract Hogan once again. Arn Anderson rolls in to whack Hogan with the brass knucks again. Hogan goes down, but bounces straight back up again. And a very surprised Arn Anderson is given a punch for his troubles. Hogan grasses up Arn Anderson for having brass knuckles in his shorts. And the referee calls for a DQ on a match where the world title does not change hands on a DQ. Hogan, what the fuck are you doing here, brother? You fucking idiots. He then uses the brass knuckles on each of the horsemen who cower back to the far side ropes, allowing the giant to creep in with a bar stool. With a yes. fucking bar stool! <laughs> yes, an actual bar stool. I know we're in lockdown, I know all the pubs are closed, but that's no excuse for the giant to be nicking bar stools right now. It's just not on. We're going to need oh him at my some God. point. <laughs> of all the things, a bar stool. I mean, Jesus Christ. Do you need a bar stool, giant? You've got a fucking. The hand of the size of a frying pan. That's all you really need. A fucking bar stool. <laughs> I am... You know what? Not the biggest Hulk Hogan fan. Shocker. But I was so happy that Savage actually got him out of the way. Because if Giant actually hit him with that bar stool, it would have fucking killed him. There would have been no hooking up there. 
Yeah, I mean, this might... Unfortunately, this shows me how like smartened up to wrestling I am and, and that we are, really. But my first impression was, well, that's going to be gimmicked. But then, <laughs> because it didn't happen, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe it wasn't gimmicked. <laughs> maybe that boy stool actually was real. <laughs> As you said there, Brian, uh, Macho does come in instantly and takes the stool off Hogan. Big props to Macho because he was just... he was. His timing was perfect here. Um, Hogan hits him with the brass knuckles the first time. He actually hits him twice, but Giant kind of doesn't know that he's hit him the first time, so he kind of no-sells it. But the second time he hits him, he sort of stumbles out of the ring, but it doesn't really have an effect on the Giant. We have the Zodiac and Sullivan now taking the Giant away from the ring, and we actually see the Zodiac saying, No! No! And the commentary team say that they've never heard him speak before. He then says hurt 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 and sullivan can actually be heard saying what are you doing stop speaking like but he says it in that kind of mannerism which made me think is sullivan trying to do some sort of like you know shoot kind of like thing here that nobody cares about because it's the zodiac and nobody cares about because it's the dungeon of doom i don't know i mean zodiac talking for the first time isn't fucking Kane talking for the first time no no yeah, I, I, oh, oh, fucking hell, I wish I hadn't said that, because I can think of Zodiac going, suck it, you know, like, <laughs> fucking hell, it, it actually sounded like Howard Finkel, though. <laughs> R.I.P. Back from yeah. a break, uh, and we go to Mean Gene Auckland with Hogan and Savage in the ring. Hogan demands Savage team with him against Arn and Fleur next week on Nitro in the main event. Trip the light, fantastic. Macho, Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, I I could have detailed it. I could have been like, oh yeah, Macho Man had a brilliant part in this where he said, trip the light, fantastic. But then I thought, no, it'd just be really funny to just randomly say, trip the light, fantastic. And you know what? Yeah, it cracked me up. And I'm not even ashamed. Yeah, gloss over the fucking nursery rhymes that bloody Hulk Hogan spills out. But yeah. (laughs) Look, let's just go off the air, lads. This this whole promo is all about Trip the Light Fantastic. And you know what? We're gonna have that as a t-shirt. I am yes. I'm adamant we are gonna design a t-shirt which will be available very soon. We've got a supplier in the works and we've got a website on the build. Uh, so keep an eye out for that on the social media channels. Um we are coming at you with these sorts of things. But I think Trip the Light Fantastic is definitely one of them, Brian. Yes, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Especially <laughs> after that. Oh my god. Match <laughs> This is what happens when we drink, guys. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> from, from going forward, I'm just gonna randomly say "trip the light, fantastic" in every conversation I ever have. Uh, Macho lets slip that they have their secret weapon themselves, but again, Hogan interrupts Savage when he's in the zone. You know, like Savage, has, he's got this momentum going when he's on the mic and Hogan's just like no I I just want some of the mic now he just really he takes the shine off Savage sometimes and it really pisses me off yeah but I've got to get these three by mice fucking referencing brother (laughs) fuck off yeah like you know Macho gives us a trip like fantastic and he's like four blind mice dude like "Ah, three five four four I knock the smelly giant on his bum or whatever the (laughs) fuck he said I don't oh, even God. think he said that, but that's better than what Hogan said. Yeah, exactly, and that's just improv, guys. I did notice that there were plenty of empty seats as this goes down. 
which goes back to what we were saying earlier on about not selling out and obviously it being New Year's Day, I'm, pro- I'm willing to cut them a bit of slack. Uh, the commentary team confirmed the main event for next week and they close it off. So that's the end of this Nitro. What what are your highs? What are your lows? Happy New Year and trip the light. Fantastic, Brian. <laughs> right. Honestly, I wrote down my rating was a two, a two star because it wasn't a fantastic show by any means. But after everything that we've spoken about in the last, I, it would be unfair for me to leave it at a two. It's a two point five because there was enough content to make us laugh. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of that wasn't intentional. It's after the fact. It's after a couple of beers. It it was a good comedy show. Let's just leave it at that. Good comedy show. If unintentional, I like that you've edited your your score your score there. I think uh, I think that's the first time it's happened on the Nitrogen podcast. So Brian has edited his score to a two point five just because of Trip the Light Fantastic and your Fee Fi Four Fum. I'm going to put the giant on his bum, which could be another T-shirt. Just just look out, guys, because T-shirts are coming your way. I'm not even joking. Funnily enough, the rating for this was a two point five as well. Oh, nice. That's eerie. And that is going against absolutely nothing because Raw wasn't on that Monday. It actually aired on January the 2nd, which is a Tuesday, which contained the World Tag Team Champions, the Smoking Guns, defeating Razor Ramon and Savio Vega, Owen Hart and Yokozuna, who were accompanied by Jim Coynette and Mr. Fuji, and Psycho Sid and the 123 Kid, who were accompanied by Ted DiBiase, in a Raw Ball Tag Team Battle Royal. So I think what you referenced might have been Toilet Ball. Right. So the raw toilet ball or something like that, Bischoff was saying earlier. That's basically what this is in reference to. Bischoff gave the results away the day before it happened. Oh, uh, saying he did. I wasn't even sure that he said the smoking guns. He might have said something different. Um wait or he did say the smoking guns, but they weren't known as the smoking guns at this point. I don't know, I'm a bit confused. There was also one more match with this one. Diesel defeated King Mabel in eight seconds. Wow, that'll put butts in the seats. <laughs> yeah, and let's, lest we forget, that's the third man. Oh, yeah, it was, yes. It's the second man and the third man. Yeah, mm. maybe there was some collusion, like long-term collusion there. there Who knows? Yeah, conspiracy theories. <laughs> the Raw did get a 2.6, so theoretically in this week, Raw did win the week. And we'll fire a straight... Straight into Nitro number 19, which goes down on January 8th, 1996 in Charleston, South Carolina. And the dark matches for this one are Big Bubba Rogers defeating the Renegade and the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags defeating Earl, Robert Eaton and Johnny Grunge. Johnny, that's a fucking random... Yeah, that's really weird. That is. I mean, I mean, it, it's come out that Earl Robert, Robert Eaton is now with Stephen Regal and Jeeves, so... Johnny Grunge is a that's a new one on me. I'm thankful that we don't need to get we don't get to see the nasty boys though. I fucking hate and we've talked about it on a previous episode of the Nitrogen podcast. Go back if you want to listen to us get hot about a tag team that we really don't fucking like. The nasty boys. That's. The I'm one. just wondering if Johnny Grunge is going to be uh, come a part of the Blue Bloods. You know, just come from uh, you know, just ditch the Philadelphia gimmick and he's from you know from Birmingham, England, and he's not Johnny <laughs> Grunge anymore. He's Jonathan Classic or some shit like that. <laughs> Sir Jonathan Classic. <laughs> the commentary team promote the main event here. Heenan's unusually stumped when it comes to talking about the opponents to Hogan and Savage. He delays on saying Owen Anderson and Ric Flair. 
which is weird. Um, the first match we get into, boom! Chris Benoit, accompanied to the ring by Brian Pillman versus him man, this Alex Wright. We're down for this. Yes, very much so. Oh my God, if there was a fly on the wall right now, if there was a fly on the wall in my bedroom, you would see the biggest shit-eating grin on my face. <laughs> I am <laughs> glad so, you said... so happy to see Alex right back. I'm glad you said you had a grin on your face and not a lump in your trousers. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first time we've seen Alex Wright properly on WCW Nitro in a while, really. Uh, in a good I, three months, yes. Yeah, I would be hard-pressed to remember the last time he actually faced off against somebody. Benoit batters Alex literally while he's taking his jacket off in a very violent way. Lots Fuck of strikes, you, Benoit. <laughs> yeah, lots of strikes from Benoit here. A lovely bridging suplex for only a one count though. Pillman takes advantage while Wright is on the floor, briefly choking him out with his shirt, which he actually puts back on. You don't normally see that. Commentary persisting on associating the uh, moniker of a loose cannon to Brian Pillman now. Uh, there's a superb jumping wheel kick after a landing moonsault from the top rope reverses Benoit's momentum and gives it to Alex. And suddenly Wright has the advantage, slingshotting Benoit out of the ring. Uh, Heenan asks if that's a disqualification, which adds credence to the confusion about this fucking rule. Again, if you want to hear us get hot about yes. this rule, oh. it happens in the previous podcast. <laughs> So Bischoff says, "Oh, it wasn't intentional. So no, it's not. It's not a disqualification, which makes it even more perplexing." Right, going big after a baseball slide drop kick nails a big crossbody. There's a snap drop kick here, which I'm actually going to ask you about for the drop kick ometer. Yes, you're going to be very surprised here, but I'm sorry, Alex. I had to give it a low number, a low number for my standards, and a low number for your very good standards. It was a six because it wasn't. It were it mm. was snappy enough, but there was very little height to it. You know, it actually looked like it didn't connect proper. So yeah, it it were, it looked okay, but not brilliant. The action was really fast paced, weren't it? And he he didn't manage to get it off quick enough, or maybe they were just no. too close to the ropes. And obviously Ben was snapped back in. Um, he gets the drop kick off. You know, in enough to make it believable but yeah I'd, I'd agree with you that it was especially for his height as well he, it was uh, not what we expect of Alex Wright let's put it that way no definitely not das dropkick kid <laughs> Wright snaps Benoit into a Boston Crab while Bischoff again lays the shots into the WWF saying that they're increasing the prices of their pay-per-views the next of which would be the Royal Rumble uh, charging people to have a photo with the belt which is just standard practice in 2020 and the Clash of the Champions will actually be free uh, some Tuesday down the line. I think it's Tuesday the 22nd. There's a snap suplex and a pin attempt from, uh, for a two count, only for Pillman to hold Alex's feet as he runs against the ropes. Right, for the second time goes after Pillman. He did so earlier on, but this time he just sh slingshots himself out of the ring and nose dives into a crossbody on Pillman to a massive cheer from the crowd. Do you hear what Heenan said? Uh, I don't think I heard that, no. No, he chastised um, Alex Wright for going after Brian Pillman. He's saying that Wright attacked a man wearing glasses. <laughs> He's wearing shades, Bobby. <laughs> He's not fucking blind. God, he just—he's he, so he's so slimy in here, and he's just like always sticking up for the bad guy. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. Sadly, that's opened the door for Benoit now. Benoit takes the match after many reversals, a dragon suplex, and gets the three count. 
Pillman spits at Wright as soon as he gets into the ring and Bischoff says, don't be surprised if you do not see Pillman in WCW much longer. Dot, 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 dot. So, yeah, I was wondering what that alluded to. It looks like, as, as me and you have talked about previously, that Bischoff and Pillman have had the conversation about Pillman potentially taking a little bit of time off to seek pastures temporarily new. And mm, curiouser and curiouser. Advance the character. Dun, dun, dun. But we continue on this episode of WCW Nitro. Lord Stephen Regal will face off against Eddie Guerrero. Regal is accompanied to the ring by Jeeves, who you actually don't see much of. In fact, you don't see him at all, I don't think. He just. Yeah, I think he just disappears. Yeah. He's got a search engine to fucking look after, mate. <laughs> is that still going? No. No. But I imagine it probably was around 95. I might, uh, sorry, 96, but I might be wrong. Mm. I know the the internet was very much in its infancy right here, but, you know, I, won't, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, God, I do remember Ask Jeeves. Jesus, that could have been a great marketing opportunity for WCW. Oh, yes, it could have been, mm. yeah. It's much easier for the crowd to like one and hate the other this week after Regal's debut on Nitro last week was against another healing Chris Benoit. There's lots of Mac technique to start off with, mainly, mainly dictated by Regal with some lightweight reversals from Eddie. A superb reversal from a double underhook transitioned briefly into a tombstone to allow Eddie to smoothly swing out into an arm drag. And with momentum on his side, he leaps off the mat to deliver a beautiful head scissors that Regal sells big for. Strikes from Regal look so authentic, it's fucking great. Yes, it, he actually elbows Eddie in the head and it looks so nasty. I was actually, you know, the first thing I did was put my hands over my mouth. I thought Eddie might have came away from that weird concussion because it looked legit. Like, but I rewound it and you can tell that even though it looks really forceful, is that there's very minimal contact. Yeah, you know, that's... that's... Such a consummate professional is Regal. Yeah, I think that's the one after he sits back up after a big back elbow. Is that right? Yes, that's the one, yes. Yeah. So he's sitting back up and, and Regal just, just just drives an elbow. Like it, it, it looked brutal, again, because it's facing away from the hard cam. It looked a lot worse yes. than it actually was. But yeah, it, it, like Regal in this is really looks really stiff, and I'm sure he's safe as houses, but he looks really stiff. <laughs> Big back elbow. Sorry. <laughs> that little pun just like put me right off. Oh, dear. Regal backhands Eddie in the face, like he backhand slaps him, which Eddie shoves him back for. Regal gets some heavy left hands in as well uh, to, to retaliate to that to that shove. And before you know it, Eddie rolls him up for a surprise three count. Eddie quickly beats a hasty retreat while Regal continues to strike blows just as Eddie's leaving the ring. But it doesn't make no difference because Eddie is the winner here with barely any offence in, really. Yeah, it was a very surprising match. It was all regal throughout. Mm. You know, they were very they, every the story of the match was any time Eddie got any momentum, and he had a bit of a flurry. Regal just used his, you know, his technical prowess, his physical prowess to stop every rally. It was a very good story that that was told. The finish very surprising, and out of nowhere as well. Yeah, we seem to be seeing this quite a bit now with these out-of-nowhere sort of finishes. We've already had one on this. Yeah, it is a bit disappointing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Because one, obviously, if you if you do them in close succession to each other in multiple matches, it's, it, it just loses its loses its momentum and its feel, doesn't it? 
yeah, it, it's disappointing when it pertains to Eddie Guerrero because we're so used to him getting a foothold with his Lucha, Lab, uh, Lucha Libre abilities. But even so, when he's on the back foot, he usually gets a lot of offence in as well. Where in this match, it's like, I've jotted down like two or three moments where he actually got a move in. And it might have been more, but it felt like he had absolutely nothing going for him. Yeah. And he had to use a sneaky roll-up to win the match. And we know Eddie, right here, is a lot better than that. Yeah. It seems as almost as if that every time he goes up against a heavyweight, he's getting lucky wins. It's not obviously he faced uh, Fleur maybe a, a couple of weeks back in this natural timeline, but he's getting sneaky wins against the heavyweights. But he's coming out of his shell way more against the cruiserweights and getting convincing wins, if you like, against cruiserweights. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to build the the cruiserweights as a legit division. It's like, if you're going to get the win over somebody like William Regal, it's not unbelievable of a guy of his size can be subject to all these Lucha Libre moves. It's, he's not a big guy, Regal. He's not like he's a giant or like that who could easily throw off a cruiserweight. You know, it's just a little bit disappointing. Yeah. Gene is with Lex and Sting at the entranceway. Trip the light, fantastic. <laughs> God, that's going to get old really quickly. Uh, <laughs> you fucking hell. Sting apparently has a question while Lex says that he thought that they'd covered all of this in private. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, this is all happening, remember, after the last Nitro where they're all pally-pally and high-fiving in their tag team match. Lex gives us an explanation as to why Lex pulled Sting back at Starcade, and it puts it down to Lex having injured himself and needing Sting to help him. Lex then asks well, Sting to see what he's all about and form a tag team with him, starting at the Clash of the Champions in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. You've been a tag team for ages. Yes. Even so, like, I haven't watched Starcade. I probably should go and watch this match for clarification. But if Lex Luger was really injured, we would have known because he would have been going, ah, <laughs> ah, ah, because that's all he ever fucking does when he's hurt. Well, there's no, I mean, I know Lex here says, oh yeah, I'll show you the videotape and, and I'll prove that I was injured and all that lot. But take it from somebody who watched that clusterfuck of a shit show that, Lex, he, he's in the storyline, he's just bullshitting here. There's no injury whatsoever. He just didn't want Sting to get the number one contendership. Absolutely obvious. Sting's gullible just to believe it. He's like, yep, fair enough, mate. Let's go in the back and have a quick beer. <laughs> like, you know, he's fucking... It's clearly obvious that Luger does not have your best interests at heart and you just keep giving him a pass. Yeah. You know, you're either a gullible idiot, Sting, or you just can't admit that... Lex Luger is a bit of a prick. Yeah. Again, it it does feed into that thing that we were talking about, Sting getting screwed over by everybody and anybody, even his, his best friend here. But yeah, there's a point in time where you start to see that somebody is being a bit of a fucking douchebag, aren't they, really? And it's yeah. not like Sting, you know, on however much he was on at this point in his WCW career, can't afford to get the rerun of Starcade 1995 and see what actually happened for himself while he sat at home. But... There you go. We we live in this world. We don't live in the wrestling world. And Triple Light, fantastic. 
At the Clash of the Champions, Regal and Earl Robert Eaton will face off against Sting and Lex Luger. And it does look like Sting and Luger going forward will be uh, a new tag team in WCW. Cut to a break, and the next match out is going to be Diamond Dallas Page. Good God! Versus Sting. Good God! Did he be did kind of boo boo on his in on his entrance here because he did say he's coming for Sting and the U.S. title. Yes, I saw that. He doesn't have the U.S. title. He hasn't had the U.S. title for about fucking I don't know five weeks, six weeks, something like that now. Uh, but yeah. he does say that he'll be going for Johnny B. Bad to get his TV title back as well as his girl Kimberly. And yes, that is definitely the match that we all want to see because they've not faced each other 25 times so far. Dallas starts this by saying that the referee should check Sting's boots for foreign objects and then he goes and rubs his cigar in Sting's face and rams some shots into... I, did, I didn't mind this start, to be perfectly honest. For he or no. he, this was really yeah. good. Very good start. But the saying that he rubbed his cigar in his face, it's like... I, I, I can't tell if that means that he actually, you know dabbed the cigar in his face, you know, using the, the hot end, you know, to deface him, or he's actually just got a side and rubbing it against his face. Because I'm going to say, one would actually hurt and the other won't. Yeah. You know. But it's not made clear. No. Good job it went flammable face paint. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you could imagine, you know. <laughs> it'd be like it'd be like going back when he actually knew what's into Pyro. He actually walks into Pyro. It's a man coasting. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the singe jokes. It's singe. It's singe. <laughs> Man, Sorry. called singe. <laughs> Back to the match, and Sting quickly turns it around when he's recovered. He axe handles DDP, which tangles him oddly in the ropes, and he drop kicks him out of there. Yeah, that was really weird. That you like it, it, with the Austin Aries thing. Yeah. He used to just trap himself in the rope like that, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like teasing yeah. the suicide dive and then just sort of doing that, isn't it? But. Uh, this was a, it was a very random spot. You wouldn't tangle yourself out Yeah, like very random. But there's a big crossbody over the top rope. Remember, it's not a disqualification. Uh, it's ex- nope. it's executed beautifully, to be fair, for Sting. Uh, but back in the ring, a simple leapfrog turns the tide after DDP manages to nut his nuts. Good bit of offence sees DDP floor Sting and keep him in a sleeper hold for a good couple of minutes using the ropes to his advantage when he can. Some decent heat obtained from DDP here. Allowing for the comeback to simmer for Sting. Right hands from Sting and an atomic drop and a drop kick for the drop kick ometer, which I'm gonna hope is gonna be a little bit higher than Alex Wright's. Yes, it was an eight. Solid. Solid. Uh, a Stinger splash allows Sting to get a scorpion on, but DDP worms his way out of it into the ropes. I've gotta say this about Sting and DDP matches. There are you, you, you see them more often in like, around 1999. Um, they're actually not bad matches. They they do me- they do mesh quite well. Sting and DDP. Um, I don't know why, but you you see DDP's always usually the guy that will worm his way out of this Scorpion Deathlock hold by just sort of trying to escape to a rope, and he does it a lot in these matches. Um, but you don't really see anybody else do it. Yeah, I think maybe a, maybe a couple of cruiserweights do it because obviously they're a little bit more agile. You won't yeah. see Hulk Hogan doing it though. Yeah, it would be a bit odd if Ric Flair doesn't even try that. I think I think Ric Flair is just a sadist and he really likes the pain. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, that actually would make sense. <laughs> you imagine that he's in the in the Scorpion Death Walk and he's not there scrambling to the ropes. He's just going woo. <laughs> yeah, no selling it. <laughs> yeah. Face plant but, and then back up. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> 
They did. Back up. Oh my god, we could go all night with this shit, mate. We could, but he is in the next match, so let's save it for that. There's more offence from DDP capitalising on the break, but in the end, a belly-to-back floor out by Sting and an Inziguri attempt from DDP allows Sting to hold his foot, trip him up and lock him in the Scorpion, turning DDP away from the ropes this time. And DDP is playing the drums with the canvas, as they say. Well, they actually don't say, because I just made it up. The win for Sting via submission. And we're going to have a quick break before we go to the main event, which is Owen Anderson and Ric Flair representing the Four Horsemen versus the Mega Powers, which we're not going to call them the Mega Powers in WCW, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage. We do notice here that the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan are both out in yellow and red and they come out to the American-made theme. I did note down, actually, that I, I, I always preferred American-made to the WWF one, which I forgot the name of it now. Yeah, Real American. Real American, yeah. I didn't mind Real American. I am a real American. It's kind of cool, but I, I, I preferred the American-made one. But having said that, they're both pale in comparison to Hollywood Hogan's theme, Voodoo Child's Slight Return by Jimi Hendrix. That is ah. fucking God level. Yeah, absolutely. But going back to American Made, it actually is a rip-off. I think I might mention this before. It is a rip-off of Real American. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a changing of the um, the guitar the guitar riff. It's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, instead of going... You know, American Made is da, 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 da. you know, it, it's not really much different. Uh, I think it's Jimmy Hart made both of them as well, didn't he? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think he did. So he's ripping off himself. Yeah, well, That's, that doesn't sound right either, does it? He's ripping off <laughs> no. himself. The the odd thing about that as well is that like he's against Hulk Hogan, he's with the Dungeon of Doom, but he's still getting royalties for this theme. Hey, hey, he's a smart man, he's Jimmy, isn't he? He's a smart man, baby! <laughs> yeah, because he's always got the fucking whistle as well. Oh, my God. Every time there's a match with Jimmy Hart on the outside, I just want to mute my TV. Yeah. the Well, the whistle is... That's his megaphone uh, with feedback in it. There's something, like, weird with his megaphone. Really? I thought he had a whistle around his neck and he was just using that. That's what it sounds like. I don't know. See, I've always... I've never, I've never seen a whistle... So I always thought it was just like he's too close to like a ring post and the metal sort of reverberating back. Or I don't know, I don't know, but I've always put it down to that megaphone. It might be. I mean, he doesn't come mm. out in a tracksuit with a baseball cap on, so he's not a coach. You know? <laughs> uh, coach, coach Jimmy Hart. Fucking hell. I really don't want to think about that. Could you imagine that guy on the fucking sidelines and you're, you know, you're a Premier League player and it's like, attack, attack, attack. You know, fuck <laughs> that shit. Seriously. <laughs> I don't want that to happen because Steve Mongo McMichael will probably have PTSD and just have flashbacks <laughs> to his NFL career and start fucking tackling everyone. <laughs> he just tackles Bischoff and Bischoff is like, what the fuck are you doing, man? It's not even in the script. It's like, I don't know. It's just like natural reaction. So oh, what, what I'm going to bring up here, actually. I noticed this. That on... <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh, my fucking God. Have you, have you seen the Ric Flair 30 for 30 on ESPN? I have not, no. Oh, mate, you've got to watch this. So I think it's on for about two hours. Uh, it's so well done. It's from back in like 2017, I think it came out. Uh, but obviously it still holds up today. And, and we watched it a few weeks back because uh, I was doing like 
obviously doing research on on all this and everything like that and um yeah anybody out there that's not seen rick flair's 30 for 30 on espn you can sign up for a seven day trial for espn plus it's on the you have to give your bank details but cancel the direct debit cancel your subscription straight away once once you've watched this i urge everybody to go out and watch this because it is fucking brilliant details everything from Fleur's plane crash to all of his NWA stuff they skip a lot of WCW stuff out to be fair they do go into the obviously his WWE stuff they talk about his depression in WWE they talk about Charlotte who's obviously not called Charlotte but they talk about Reed as well who sadly passed away and they show the footage of him because he's in WCW for a little while later on Uh, but I wanted to bring this up because they interview Hulk Hogan on this Ric Flair 30 for 30. And Hulk Hogan, I hope you sat down for this, Brian, because holy hell. Hulk Hogan says that Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler of all time. Wow. He says, I'm always asked, or I'm always told that I'm the greatest wrestler of all time. No, you're not. But, but this is that's what he says. He says, but what about the guy who's next to me? Because this guy's the greatest wrestler of all time. He says, I don't even, I do not hold a candle to Ric Flair. Ric Flair is the greatest of all time. And it it takes you back because, sorry, it it takes you aback because you always think that Hulk Hogan is this fucking dickhead, egotist, you know, out for himself guy. Yeah, because he is. Yeah, well, he is, but 99.9% of the time, but that that 0.1% of the time is on film and he is putting Ric Flair over to heck. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's go out your way to watch it. Anything you're going to watch, I mean, just for wrestling enthusiasts, this is a must watch. I would not steer you down the wrong path. It's emotional. It's beautiful. It's hilarious. It is honestly, if it was a film, it, it'd be fucking perfect. Considering the shit that's out these days, we sit there and digest so much shit in terms of films and TV shows, and then once we've finished, and we think that is fucking awful. This is not. If you are a wrestling fan, and even if you are not a wrestling fan, if you are out there and you need something to watch with your girlfriend, ESPN Plus, seven-day trial, 30 for 30, Ric Flair, came out in 2017. Watch it. It is brilliant. And there is uh, one thing we have to say. There is a disclaimer. We're not earning anything from ESPN here. No, we're not. It's just that fucking good. But ESPN, if you want to sponsor us, you know, you know, hit us up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. think they're going to, but... <laughs> hey, you got to hustle. You never know. You got to hustle. Weirder things have happened. So back into the match here, and Ric Flair and Hogan are going to start us off. And as usual, it's Flair dictating, all making Hulk Hogan look much better than he actually is. Hogan even delivers a big boot to Flair very early on because he's run out of moves already. Um, <laughs> Macho and Arn soon get into the ring. There's a nice little spot where Owens on the apron and attempts to suplex Macho out, but Macho reverses to initially try and put Owens ahead into the turnbuckle, but then puts his head into Hogan's big boot, who's obviously on the apron. His usual top rock axe handle from Macho Man to the outside. And then there's one inside, and as he goes for the pin, Hogan and Fleur play a kiss catch in the middle of the ring, which results in Hogan pulling Fleur's trunks down to show his, show his bare ass to the TV side of the crowd. I'm guessing they got their ticket price worth that night. <laughs> I don't know if that's legit. I don't know if that's like accidental or anything like that. But yeah, the crowd reacts like they just got to see Ric Flair's ass. And to be fair, it wouldn't be the first time and it most certainly wouldn't be the last. No, Ric Flair likes showing off his ass. He certainly does. And again, 
Watch that documentary because there's a, a whole lot about Ric Flair and his penis. Uh, <laughs> there's an interview with Sting, a very short interview with Sting that lasts about 10 seconds. And he basically says, I don't think I've ever seen a man take his clothes off more than Ric Flair. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. <laughs> the baby's arm. Jesus Christ. Oh, dear me. Macho Man does get a figure four on Flair and Hogan, obviously Flair has pulled his trunks back up. Hogan comes in and as does Arn and Hogan gets a figure four on him simultaneously. As you were saying earlier, this looks pretty cool when it happens. Great visual. It was. Uh, Arn gets his patented DDT on Macho shortly after, but Flair doesn't get the three count. Macho's thrown out of the ring and at Arn's mercy... Obviously, it's it's Macho and Fleur back in the ring now. Uh, Macho gets thrown out of the ring and he's at Owen's mercy while the referee is tied up with Hogan. The commentators always say things like, hit him, or he's setting him up as they're about to go off the air to a break as they're fading out to black. I think the reason why they do this is because they want it to sound like you're about to miss something huge so you better stay tuned into Nitro. But we are going to miss something huge because you're going to fucking break. That's it. In this moment, Bischoff says, oh, he's setting him up. But Heenan turns around to him. He says, he's got him in the corner. <laughs> yeah, like, but he says it like, like, with that sort of tone that's like, Bischoff, what the fuck are you talking about? We're still in the air and he's got him in the corner. Stop talking shit. But yeah, there was nothing happening. But yeah, they're, they're trying to big it up as something that really wasn't. We come back from a break and we see Ric Flair again using the heel tactics with Arn. He's grabbing older Arn to to give uh, a little bit more pressure to the abdominal stretch, working the arm as well. Uh, and that's some solid heat on the horseman there. And it continues with the odd hope spot for Macho over the next few minutes. Arn attempts a DDT finally, but Macho holds onto the ropes. And at first he steps over Arn whilst he's dazed and confused and sort of wandering around. I do think at this moment, if Macho would have tripped over Arn accidentally, it would have added way more effect to the hot tag. Yeah, but absolutely. Either way, Fleur knees Macho in the back, which sends him crashing into Hogan for the tag. Fleur then goes after Hogan, but confusingly, they don't hit each other. So this is like the Assassin and Sting all over again, basically. Yes. <laughs> so Hogan is getting into the ring, and Ric Flair's sort of like, I don't know what to do. And... I mean, because it, it's on TV. I mean, I, I am being really. I, I guess I'm, I'm. I am being really negative over this because I expect people like Flair and Hogan to be much better in this sort of scenario. Hogan is getting into the ring. Ric Flair does absolutely nothing but waits for Hogan to get into the ring to then shoot him off into the ropes. And I was just like, Ugh. but it's the usual hot tag scenario until Arn delivers a sweet ass looking spine buster on Hulk Hogan. But Hogan's straight up again, and Arn is looking around at the fans to say, What the fuck am I gonna do? Right hands, boot, leg drop. It gets zero reaction from the crowd, but this is Hulk Hogan's finish. Three count, job done. But the incoming four horsemen are about to come into the ring, and they do get a reaction from the crowd. However, they've been cut off by what it seems to be is the Dungeon of Doom. The giant kind of stumbles into the ring a little bit, sends Macho and Hogan headfirst into each other, delivers the giant chalk slams to both Macho and Hulk Hogan. Again, Zodiac is holding the giant back, and Sullivan again seemingly gives up on the Zodiac because he's talking, and he just walks off as the show comes to a close. Weird, a weird last minute of this match, which was going yes, very going, weird. It was going pretty 
pretty well. Wasn't going too badly. Um, highlight for that one is obviously the four horsemen are just getting heel heat left, right, and centre. So professional in in the way that they're doing stuff. Uh, you notice that Macho spends the most time in the ring again because Hogan's exhausted his moveset and it's just going to get really repetitive. Yeah, Hulk Hogan's wrestling ability is like that dickhead friend that you that you played on like SmackDown or No Mercy or something like that who just kept spamming, uh, spamming the same fucking move over and over and mm. over again. You know, Hulk Hogan doesn't know how to tell a story like my friend Sam didn't know how to tell a story. <laughs> you know, it's... And they're the kind of people that get the momentum meter up, 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 up and then when they've got to finish a boom, it's on. And you're like, that was just shit. Why why the fuck are you just giving me right hands and left hands? It's crap. It's not Street Fighter. It's fucking WWF Smackdown versus Raw. That got deep. Um, so that's yeah, very. that's the end of the show there, Brian. What did you think to it? To be honest with you, it was a very good show. Uh, I gave it wow. I gave it a free. You know, there was more than enough content throughout the show to make it look good. There wasn't really a bad match. Even the tag match for Hulk Hogan's uh, limited abilities and usual fucking Hulk up shit that annoys me to no end. Um, <laughs> and we finish as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, it wasn't offensively bad, you know. Uh, the undercard was... I mean, you had Eddie Guerrero versus Steve Regal, which was a great match in its own right. You know, I mean... And, and you also had Alex Wright and Chris Benoit, which was a fantastic match, and that's without bias at all. And DDP's uh, versus Sting, well, it was what it was. It wasn't brilliant, but it was a, a decent contest. You know, there, there was very little faffing about in the show. Yeah. Yeah. We're spending a bit of time getting some some fresh faces on the show as well, aren't we? We've got DDP, we've got Stephen Regal. So that's not too... Obviously, we're getting Alex Wright back in there as well. So it's freshening things up. Um, as you said, the main event's basically done. It's catered to Hulk Hogan's lack of wrestling ability and his, his four-move four wonder arsenal. You're being generous. I am being generous, yeah. <laughs> Like you said, there's plenty of content in this episode, so much so that I actually ran out of space on my notes. I had to start a new notes in my phone to actually cover this episode. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I think a, I think a three in my estimations probably pushing. I think you're being fairly generous, but you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. The viewing rating was actually a two point eight. And that was against Raw's 3.0, so another win for Raw this week. And we do actually get to spend a bit of time talking about Raw this week as well. The results, uh, no dark matches, but we did have Jeff Jarrett defeating Hakushi. We had Ahmed Johnson defeating Jeff Brettler. No idea who that is. Nope. And Goldust defeating Aldo Montoya. Now, the reason why I say we get to spend a little bit of time talking about Raw this week is because there's a few segments of interest on this one. And these are quite infamous. We have Ted DiBiase introducing the ringmaster, Steve Austin, during the Brother Love Show. Wow. And, featuring, uh, and featured DiBiase bestowing him with the Million Dollar Championship, which had been inactive for four years. So this marks the day that Steve Austin made his WWF TV debut. We get a full featured replay of the Bret Hart, Davy Boy Smith match from In Your House. But it also included the debut of Scheme Gene during a Royal Rumble report, which included the announcement that Takayo Amore would be in the Royal Rumble match. And it also featured a segment with Billionaire Ted, in which he tried to come up with a new slogan for WCW. 
Fucking hmm. hell. A lot of pot shotting going backwards and forth here, isn't there? There is. Now, a, a few weeks ago, we, we had we had a conversation about Jerry McDevitt, the, the attorney at law for the WWF, and, and how he has these abilities to make things go away. Yes. And somewhere down the line, somebody's going to show up. We all know who it is. It's Scott Hall. And then somewhere down the line, somebody else is going to show up, and it's Kevin Nash. And the WCW gets sued because Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are portraying characters that are apparently too close to their characters in the WWF, right? However, the WWF has absolutely no problem with portraying characters like Scheme Gene and Billionaire Ted, the Nacho Man and the Huckster. We all know that the WWF and the WWE are not above hypocrisy, so far away from above hypocrisy it's not even funny anymore but I did I did want to mention that in, in passing as to you know there was a lot of mudslinging back and forth but in law terms the mudslinging always came from the WWF they always targeted WCW with litigation particularly about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and that went on for quite a while like it might have gone on for maybe a couple of years maybe three years um, but this was perfectly fine and I never understood why WCW didn't like you know I had a countersued personally I think it's because they knew they wouldn't win because have you said Jerry, Mac, uh, Jerry McDivitt has gotten WWE throughout uh, out of so much fucking shit I mean this is Two years after the steroid trial, which no matter which way you look at it, I mean, I've dissected that to death. And how the hell Vince McMahon did uh, came away from that without a single charge is incredible. It because is because there is there is enough there is enough evidence there to say that he was going around the dressing room handing out steroids to his performers. Now I know people like Hulk Hogan, it even though by this point they had fallen out and he'd moved on to WCW, Hulk Hogan did defend Vince McMahon. Um, other people defended Vince McMahon. Um, but yeah, this is something that Jerry McDivitt can do that will get WWE out of whatever shit, no matter what. Um, and yeah, I just feel that WCW would not have won. And with the substantial costs for your you know, uh, taking the WWE to trial for a countersuit, as you say, it probably just wasn't worth it. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right there. I mean, I'm still reading the the Nitro book by Guy Evans, and and there's a lot of detailing as it pertains to the legal side of it. And like I said, it did it did go on for quite a while. I mean, we are talking, you know, I think into 1997. That's and and maybe even beyond, but. Uh, obviously, I haven't, I haven't reached that timeline yet. I haven't got up to... Um, I think I've got up to 1997, but I'm only about halfway through 1997, something like that. And I think, you're, I think you're probably right, and it probably is a little bit like, well, you're giving the results of Raw away, and you're sort of doing Scheme Gene and Billionaire Ted, so they kind of cancel each other out, whereas, you know, the WWE thinks they've got something important with the Scott Hall and Kevin Nash thing. So... You know, it's it, it, at this time it, it was always a case of trying to get one up on your on your opponents, and mm. yeah, it's it's WWE reacting to WCW, I suppose. 
And I'm not saying it's right or wrong either way. It's not. I, I don't even like Eric Bischoff doing it, to be honest with you. I, do, I just think it's childish. But, you know, it's... To me, it, it just comes across as like a, a non-incident. W, WWE would make a fuss. Why should WCW make a fuss? Yeah, absolutely. Well... Talking of reactions there, Brian, obviously we would love to hear your feedback on this episode and every other episode that we've ever done on the Nitrogen Podcast. Again, it only feels like we've been doing this a few weeks, but we're actually like nine episodes in now. We've covered the entire of 1995, granted there wasn't that much, but we're well into 1996 already with two episodes down of WCW Nitro and things are getting tasty. There's uh, a lot more to come, obviously, because we all know what happens in 1996 in the world of wrestling, so you want to stay tuned with us. Trip the light, fantastic. And if we get chance to speak to you, as always, we'll be replying back, we'll be re- retweeting your stuff, and we'll be liking your stuff. We'd love to have a conversation with you on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Reddit. You can at NitroGenCast, as always, on those social media platforms. You can also like us on Facebook, as we've said earlier on, we have a little bit of a surprise as it pertains to the website kind of deal. We've also got a little bit of a surprise up our sleeves as it pertains to some t-shirt opportunities. So you're going to want to stick around. Shout out to Glenn Abbott and to Robert Downing, not Junior, for their uh, constant, they're constantly in touch with us and that's that's in a really good way they've, they've given us nothing but positive feedback and we really appreciate you guys listening in as always and you know um, I've really enjoyed speaking to you guys over the past Robert I've been speaking to you since maybe what the second or third one and I think you knew Robert before we even started the podcast is that right? Yeah I've known Robert for a few years he's yep. a real good lad Glenn as well so yeah we, we really appreciate you guys listening in it's good night from me Marvellous Mark Ashworth, and it's good night from Das Acton Kid over there on the other side of Darwin, moving closer soon. Trip the lights, fantastic. I <laughs> love it, and we'll see you again for another Nitrogen podcast. <laughs>